Welcome into Shat Talk, the People's Sports Talk Podcast, with your host, Bradley Shatra. And we are back with Shat Talk. Going to be a double day for me as I'm going to record a podcast right now. I'm going to say a lot of the same things on the radio tonight. I'll be honest with the audience, whoever is out there listening to this podcast, it's kind of a trial run. I'm going to see how it sounds without any notes. I've been extremely prepared for my last few times on the air, live, so this time I want to try to get away from the notes, especially since it's NBA, something I follow extremely heavily, something I do know a ton of about without the notes. Now, I'm not saying I'm going to go in there and freeball it, but Definitely going to be a different feel for the episode tonight. So what I would want to do is start with the Brooklyn Nets versus the Boston Celtics series because that is the hometown team. Uh, That is what most people around here are trying to hear about. So I will start with that as the Brooklyn Nets ended up pulling away in the second half of game one. Boston stuck around. I can't lie. I mean, they were right there in that first half. Uh, It was an interesting game because Brooklyn struggled from three. I don't know if that was a product of Boston defending the three very well or just Brooklyn being cold. I believe it was only about eight threes that they hit all game. They shot about 26%. So it was not a good three-point shooting day for them. But their three stars did play well. Kevin Durant had over 30 points. And Kyrie Irving and James Harden both had over 20. So once again... We saw that Stars win in the postseason. I mean, I don't think Boston stands a chance in this series. I've made that pretty clear. Uh, Be surprised if they even grab a game just because of how talented Brooklyn is. Now, I do see that possibility being there because of Jason Tatum and his ability to score the basketball. I mean, we've seen him go off for 50 points this season. So it's not out of the realm of possibility. But the Nets are just too good. They have too much talent for the Celtics. I mean, Blake Griffin last night or two nights ago in game one had one point for the Brooklyn Nets. And they could not, or the Celtics could not slow them down. So that's where this series kind of lies. I think it's going to be tough. Kyrie Irving right now is just better than Kemba Walker. Uh, He's going to take advantage of him defensively. Now you can switch that and probably have Marcus Smart guard him, but I still don't think it's going to make that much of a difference because as great of an on-ball defender as Marcus Smart is, Kyrie Irving is one of the best scorers we have in the NBA right now. Uh, One of the better finishers at the rim. I mean, it's it's just flat out, if he gets rolling, he's a guy you can't guard. Uh, Brooklyn right now is just kind of trying to build towards the finals, and you can see that because, like I said, that, that rough start in the first half, And then they kind of turn it on in the second half. It's been interesting to see the way they're kind of moving the ball around and what they're doing as a team. It's been a lot of ISO. But as much as that doesn't look pretty and it doesn't look like championship-level basketball, we've seen championships won that way, namely LeBron James and Kyrie Irving 2016. Now, while they did have some good offensive flow at times, it was a lot of ISO. You do you, I'll do me. We'll kind of go back and forth. And it worked. If you have the level of talent, that type of basketball does work. And the Nets have that talent. They have three of the best scorers ever. They are the most talented team in the NBA on paper. Um, Kevin Durant has stepped up. 
we've seen him, his level of play, take a step in the right direction as he kind of was in and out of the lineup all year this year. He was coming back from that Achilles, so I think a lot of people wondered how he would look. He looks like Kevin Durant, just like he should. Uh, James Harden came back. I believe it was 21 points he had, but he did hit a few threes that were kind of Okay, vintage. He's all right. He's he's good to go. I think they kept him out a little extra time just to make sure that he was going to be good to go. And I think that's been something Brooklyn has done this season is kind of keep guys out a, a few extra games just to make sure that when they come back, they are 100%. No rush needed. They took the approach that a lot of championship teams take in the regular season it matters, but it doesn't. It's not the end all, be all. They can live with dropping a game in mid December to the Indiana Pacers or something like that, something of that nature. But I think another interesting part of this team, again, is the fact that even when they were keeping guys out, they were still able to get wins. It's just the level of offense for them. That's really what it comes down to. But as much as the defense is a real concern against this team once they face somebody with the firepower that they have, or at least comparable to the firepower that they have, I don't know. I, I mean, I don't know if that defense is going to be such a factor because I'm of the belief that Kyrie Irving can play defense and do it decent. James Harden can play defense, uh, decent defense. And Kevin Durant can play good defense too, sometimes great defense. I mean, he can really protect the rim. We saw that with Golden State when he absolutely had to. I'm not sure if that's what he's going to do in these playoffs because you got DeAndre Jordan, Blake Griffin, guys down there that have that responsibility in their role. But, I mean, these guys can defend, and I expect when the series get or we get deeper into the playoffs and the series become more meaningful or later in series. I expect these guys to pick it up on that end of the floor. And let's be honest, their offensive firepower is second to none. That's going to outweigh their defense most nights than not. I think it's just a lot of people have questions on when they aren't shooting the ball as well or when their stars aren't playing up to the level, can they D up and steal a win? That is still yet to be seen. I honestly don't think they have that in their their game their their game as a team I don't know if they can win a game if their offense isn't playing superb but the problem is, is their offense is always playing superb so they're just a team right now that's unbeatable I mean at least for Boston at least for the Boston Celtics I'm speaking in terms of the first round so I I, I don't I don't think Boston stands a chance in this I've talked multiple times about the issues in Boston. I think Brad Stevens is not the main problem. I think he does have some blame to take in their starts to games and just not being necessarily ready to play from the opening buzzer to the closing buzzer. But Jason Tatum deserves a lot of blame in this situation. I think he's the leader. He sets the tone. He's the guy that should have this team ready to play. I mean, that's his role. If he's going to be your franchise player, he has to be able to rally the troops, get them ready for a series like this, and frankly, get them playing with some pride. And I do think Boston played with some pride in that first half. Now, they took their gas off or their, their foot off the pedal in the second half, but that's gonna it's going to be tough to put 48 minutes together of good, solid defense against the Brooklyn Nets, and that's why I just think the Celtics don't t stand a chance. They are not going to win this series. The Nets are going to move on. I'll honestly be surprised if the Celtics even grab one game. So with that being said, 
There's another series going on in the first round that feels a little similar to this, and that is the Washington Wizards versus the Philadelphia 76ers. And this one is going to be a slightly better series just because the Wizards outmatch the Philadelphia 76ers guard play. Now, Ben Simmons is there, and I'm not really sure who he was guarding in game one. I didn't get to watch a ton of their game one, but I do know that the guards for Washington outweigh the guards in Philadelphia, but the overall team in Philadelphia vastly outweighs the overall team in Washington. And flat out, it's not even a question. The bigs aren't even close. I mean, Joel Embiid can do whatever he wants in this series, and he's going to be fun to watch. He's a guy that probably would have won the MVP if not for getting hurt. Uh, Just a quick side note on that. Steph Curry deserves the MVP this year. He has been the most valuable player, but Nikola Jokic is going to win the award, and it's going to further my point that the award does not go to the most valuable player. But back to the Sixers. Like I said, Joel Embiid's going to be able to do what he wants. But here's my thing with the Sixers and why I think they're a different team than they have been the past couple or few seasons. They got rid of Brett Brown. And I'm not posting it all on Brett Brown because they made other adjustments. They brought in Seth Curry. They brought in Danny Green. They have guys who can score outside of Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid. But the key right now is that Doc Rivers isn't asking Ben Simmons to be this team's number two. He is not asking Ben Simmons to go out there and get 20 plus and also get his eight assists and his eight rebounds. Now he can do that and it's icing on the cake, but Tobias Harris has been this team's second scorer. And I love that adjustment because it's allowed him to sprout. It's allowed him to make a real impact on the game. And it's taken Philly to a new level because now they can use Ben Simmons as a guy who can do it all. He can defend. He can get out in transition. He can pass the ball. He can score when it's there. He doesn't have to force it. Ben Simmons is a guy that doesn't have a refined offensive game. He cannot shoot the ball, let's be honest, with what it is. It doesn't bug me as much as it does other people because I see how much he does well on the floor, but that is the truth. Ben Simmons cannot shoot the ball, and you can't have your second score on a playoff team that has championship aspirations not being able to shoot. Doc Rivers has made that adjustment. And like I said, bringing Seth Curry in, bringing Danny Green, it gets those guys on the perimeter who are able to shoot the lights out of the ball because, frankly, Joel Embiid needs that. He's going to draw people into the paint. He's going to draw that attention, and guys are going to be open from three. Now, Philly was able to sneak out with a win against Washington because, I'll be honest, the Wizards put up a good fight in game one. But right now, it's kind of looking like the same thing as the Nets and the Celtics series where... Let's just be honest. The Sixers are the better team. They play defense better. They play offense better. And they just vastly outmatch their opponent in this scenario. Now, my respect for the Wizards is a little bit more in this series than the Celtics and Nets. And the only reason I say that, I understand that the Celtics beat the Wizards. But the only reason I say that is because as special as Philly has been, as much as they're the number one seed, I view Brooklyn as the best team talent-wise in the NBA. I view Boston as a team who is worn down, they're injured, their season probably should have ended before this, but they showed a little bit of fight and were able to get into the playoffs, but let's be honest, their second best player isn't there, Uh, the ending to this season has just worn everybody on that team down, it's a little bit of a different dynamic in that net series, so 
I give some respect to the Wizards in this series. I think they grab a game just solely off of the scoring ability of Bradley Beal and the relentlessness of Russell Westbrook. I cannot see him getting swept. But in the end, I think Philly's going to take a quick five-game series here, and they're going to move on because, like I said, they have the better overall roster. I mean, they do have the best player in the series. So that's where we are at with the first two series in the East. But now when we move on, we move on to the Milwaukee Bucks and the Miami Heat. And this is my favorite. Actually, you know what? This is my second favorite series in the East. It's going to be a good one. It's going to be a rematch of last year. I believe this was the second round. I made an error in a video I made the other day and called it the first round. But this is a rematch of last year's second round where Miami honestly shockingly beat Milwaukee. I mean, they really beat them. They probably should have swept them. Chris Middleton had a special game four when Giannis went down with injury. And then the Heat finished it off in a game five. But shockingly uh, uh, dominant uh, Shockingly dominant play or or win of the series. Wow, I tripped over my words there. A shockingly dominant series win is what I meant to say for the Miami Heat. Hopefully that does not happen on the radio tonight. But back to this year, Milwaukee won in overtime. Chris Middleton hit a very, very clutch th- uh, mid-range jumper to win the game. But Miami was right there, and Miami was executing down the stretch of the game. I mean, they were getting good shots. There were some times where they were taking ill-advised threes that was kind of like, why, man, why would you do that? But I thought for the most part, they were able to really get their offense to at least get good shots down the stretches of games. They played good defense down the stretches of games. They really know how to defend Giannis Antetokounmpo. They do not allow him to get downhill very often. I mean, they go straight up, and they force him to either shoot the ball or give it up and flat out. I mean, Giannis is going to get his points. He's going to affect the game just because he is that type of player. You can't stop a guy that big going to the rim every single time. But I will say, Miami was able to stop him... I'm almost willing to say the majority of the time in game one. And that's something to watch in this series because, yes, Chris Middleton's a special player. And then you have um, uh, Drew Holiday, who they brought in, gave an extension, one of the better two-way players in the league. So Milwaukee is not the same team as they were last year. But for me, I think Miami is the classic example of the better team winning series. Miami had a slow start to this year, and I think a lot of people wrote wrote them off, but they came screaming back in that second half. Jimmy Butler got healthy. The entire team started rolling again, and let's just call it what it is. They're, they don't have the stars. They don't have the, the superstar power, but they have Jimmy Butler, a guy who's good in the clutch, a guy who just has that gene in him. He makes shots when they matter. He's also a guy who doesn't try to do too much, so if he comes out and his shot is off or something of that nature. Something's off with his game. He's not going to keep shooting and shoot his team out of the game. He's going to defer to other guys and let them do what they do best because Miami is a team full of quality role players. Everybody knows their role. It's very defined and not many people on that team try to do too much. And that's why they're so fun to watch is because they have such clear cut roles and everybody is so bought in. That's a testament to Eric Spolstra and it's a testament to the leadership of Jimmy Butler because he leads by example. Like I just said, he's not above anybody else. If his role that day was well, Jimmy Butler has a very distinct role. It's kind of do what you see we need done. If they need 
playmaking that day, Jimmy Butler's going to go out and playmake. If they need scoring that day, he's going to go out and try and score. Even say that even if they need rebound, he'll go out and he'll rebound. Jimmy Butler can do it all. He's that type of gritty guy. And I mean, he can defend as well. So that's the thing is Miami may not be the most talented team on paper, but they are a team full of quality role players, full of guys who buy into their role. And we saw last year that wins in the playoffs if you can execute down the stretch. Now, Miami did execute down the stretch of the game against Milwaukee. Milwaukee was just the team that had the last shot. We saw Jimmy Butler tie the game at the buzzer. And then in overtime, like I said, Chris Middleton hits that mid-range jumper to win it. But I think this year is going to be tough, way more tough for the Miami Heat just because of the addition of Drew Holiday and kind of the style of play change in Milwaukee. Their offense has been a little bit better than it was last year, but their defense has been a little slightly worse. I think that's kind of just a testament to they're focused on that side of the ball because that's kind of where it all went south last year in the playoffs. So I expect this one to go deep. I expect a six or seven game series for sure, just because Milwaukee was able to grab that first game of this series. And like I said, I don't think they're the same team as they were last year, but I think they have the same core in a sense of Chris Middleton, Giannis Antetokounmpo. Chris Middleton is clutch, but Giannis is not. Now, if the Bucs are bought into the fact where Giannis isn't the guy that's going to take their last shot, and it seems as they are, it seems like they are, but I'm not sure because Giannis is the franchise guy. Who knows? Maybe they're going to want to get the ball in his hands in the clutch. But Chris Middleton's one of the better clutch performers in the NBA this season. So I, I, I doubt that's a thing. So you know what? I'm just going to move off that point altogether. But what I am going to say is Milwaukee has the better stars. Miami has the better overall roster. I don't even want to say team because in the end, I mean, Milwaukee has the better record. They've had the better play. They're viewed as the better team. But if you look at the roster, depth versatility, defense. Miami can beat the Milwaukee Bucks again. I think they're going to beat the Milwaukee Bucks again because of what I said. Nobody tries to do too much. Very defined roles. Everybody knows what they're doing down the stretches of playoff games. If it's not if it's not their responsibility, a Miami player doesn't do it. They're well coached, good structure, a good team. I'm taking Miami in seven. I originally said six, but I think seven now due to the fact that the Bucs took game one. Uh, Drew Holiday wasn't a major factor in that game. I expect him to play a major factor in a game or two in this series. Obviously, Giannis is going to have his big game, but we have seen examples where Giannis has his big game and Miami is still able to pull it out. This is going to be a fun one. I think there's a lot of animosity there with Giannis towards the Miami Heat because of what happened last year. And I think that Jimmy Butler is out for revenge. He doesn't like the way they went out last year, and he wants to prove that it wasn't a fluke. So this series is going to be fun. Miami in seven, in my opinion. But the Bucs look different. They don't look like the same team as last year. And maybe, just maybe, this is the year Giannis makes a true lead deep run in the playoffs to finish off the eastern conference last night was fun for this series the hawks versus the knicks i personally think this is going to be the funnest series to watch in these eastern conference playoffs and i say that because i think every game is going to be close i think every game is going to be ultra competitive madison square garden was rocking last night it was very very fun to see spike lee i mean 
I love to see that guy happy. I love to see him pumped up. I love to see him back in playoff basketball. It's the definition of a true super fan. I mean, Spike travels with the team. He's been to away playoff games. He had the whole thing with Reggie Miller. I mean, he's been around forever. It was awesome to see him back in the playoff atmosphere. It was awesome to see the Knicks back in the playoff atmosphere. Now, they did kind of fold down the stretch. There were multiple instances where the Knicks really could have gotten one more basket and put the game not out of reach, but put the game in a, in a sense of it would have been really, it would have been much more tough for the Hawks to pull it out. But hey, what are you going to do? Trey Young's a special player. He is incredible with drawing fouls. Now, I am not a fan of watching that style of basketball. Uh, he knows what he's doing. He knows how to draw the fouls, get the calls from the refs in the playoffs. I'm not a huge fan of that. But what are you going to do? In, in a way, it is a skill. I hate to say that. But in a way, drawing fouls like that is a skill because, hey, the refs see it. They're going to call it every time. It's going to get them to the free throw line. And frankly, that kept the Hawks in the game at one point last night. So as much as I'm not a fan of it, every time Trey Young does draw a foul like that, he hits an incredible three or he hits an incredible floater. I mean, he was awesome. Awesome. Down the stretch last night. Fun to watch. A true leader. He looked polished. He looked like a veteran. How was his first playoff game? His first playoff game in Madison Square Garden. Now, yes, it's not completely full, but it was rocking in there last night. It was rocking. And you saw him shushing the crowd, telling him it was real quiet in there. Trey Young's the truth. And I said since I made my video two days ago, Trey Young has the ability to take over a playoff series. I truly believe that because he's that special of a player. And he can, he, he, he play makes, he can get into the lane and kind of do a little bit of a floater or draw a foul, or he can hit the amazing three and the Hawks are not a bad team. Kevin Herter can shoot the three. Uh, Bogdanovich can shoot the three. They have Gallinari. I mean, Clint Capella down low. These guys, this roster is a little bit better than I thought. When I was watching the Hawks last night, I was like, wow, this, this team is better than I thought. I mean, you look at it, uh, DeAndre Hunter, he hit a big shot last night. There are a bunch of young guys that are hungry for the playoffs. They're playing another young team, which allows them to have a little bit more confidence than they would say they're playing a Milwaukee or a Brooklyn. So that's why this series is fun, because you look on the other side with the Knicks, you got Julius Randle, who's probably the most improved player of this season. Uh, you have um, the rookie. Uh, oh, my gosh. I'm, I'm a Kentucky fan. Emmanuel Quickly. He's got a real polished game, a guy who's got a real good floater. He also doesn't try to do too much, Not uh, look, didn't look at the playoff and try to be a hero. R.J. Barrett played well in clutch moments down the stretch for this team. Derrick Rose is a guy who they can rely on. He's been there. He's done that. The moment will never be too big. Now, I was very upset with Tom, Dibido Tom Thibodeau's call last night for the final shot. I mean, 0.9 seconds on the shot there, you can get a pretty quality look. and. He didn't even give Julius Randle, I believe, who's who took the shot. He didn't even give him, a sh I mean, a chance. That, that ball never would have gotten off in time. So poor execution there. But Trey Young only left .9 on the clock. So the Knicks were in a tough spot. Thibodeau has the Knicks playing very hard-nosed, tough basketball. They're going to take a chunk out of any team they play. I don't think this... Game one loss is a big deal because I think every single game in this series is going to be close, and that's why it's going to be so fun to watch. I do not expect this to be the only game in this series that comes down to a last shot situation. Uh, game two in Madison Square Garden will be big for the Knicks because they cannot go down 0-2 going to Atlanta for the next two, set themselves up for a 3-1 deficit. But I think they're going to respond in a big way just because they're a scrappy team. 
Uh, they don't have the best player in the series, but they probably have the second, the, the, the second and third. I don't know if anybody wants to debate the Gallinari, RJ Barrett type thing, but I think Julius Randle is the second best player in this series. So, I mean, overall, these teams are pretty evenly matched. Now, one way that the Knicks can expose the Hawks is defensively. The Hawks are a top eight team offensively, but a bottom nine team defensively. And the Knicks may not be a crazy offensively talented team, but they are a very good defensive team. So they have to lock down on that end of the floor. They have to watch film and they have to be prepared for Trey Young to draw fouls or try and draw fouls the way he does. Because we have seen before, as lethal as what Trey Young does, as lethal as it is, we have seen James Harden fold in playoff series down the stretches because Teams understand that that's coming. They don't feed into it. He tries to draw fouls. He doesn't get the call because the other team is not feeding into that nonsense. And it ends up where he's struggling to score, struggling to get a rhythm. The Knicks have to find a way to defend Trey Young, not allow him to get to the free throw line, make him a little bit uncomfortable, maybe be a little rough and tough. I'm not saying anything dirty, but maybe really make him earn his shots, kind of go back to an old school hard nose series because I think the Knicks can pull this out. I think that they're fired up. I think they're going to win game two. I think they're going to make this a 1-1 series. I have the Knicks in seven games just because they're a scrappy team. I think they're the more hard-nosed team. They're a team that in a six and game seven, I just think they're going to outwork you on the boards. They're going to outwork you in the dirty areas. And while Trey Young is going to do his thing, he's going to score a lot. He's going to facilitate the ball. I think in the end, the Knicks win this series because they're the slightly better team and just a roster that is way more willing to play defense and defense wins out, especially later on in series in a league that has gone totally, totally offense. We still see every year games six and seven in a series. They're all about defense taking Knicks in seven. And then in the Western conference, this is pretty interesting as well because Eight and one matchup is the Memphis Grizzlies versus the Utah Jazz. That was last night, and man, was it a good game. Dylan Brooks had himself a day, I believe it was 31 points. John Morant was pretty good as well, but the Grizzlies overall, they deed up. They were scrappy. They did not allow Utah to impose their will, and it was not the Utah team we're going to be used to because Donovan Mitchell was not able to play. Nobody really knows why because it seemed as though he was cleared and good to go. Even the players were tweeting and saying that they were surprised he was not going to be in the lineup for game one. Not sure what happened there. That could be worrisome because the Jazz need their best player. I mean, Donovan Mitchell last year was going off for 50 points left and right. He's shown he can carry a team. But, but, the Jazz are in trouble without Donovan Mitchell. Because as much as they have a versatile roster, they have the sixth man of the year in Jordan Clarkson. They have all their starting five averaging over 12 points per game. They shoot the three incredibly well. They shoot it a ton. Donovan Mitchell is their guy. He's their main player. He's their franchise player. The guy that they look on down the stretches of games. The guy that in a fourth quarter last night where they were struggling and they were down, they would have looked on Donovan Mitchell to bring them back. He was not there. That safety blanket was not there. And we saw them struggle. Mike Conley's a good player. Joe Ingles is going to have that game where he bangs, I don't know, six, seven threes. And you're, as the opposing fan, you're just like, I, there's nothing we can do. I mean, uh, Bogdanovich is over there. 
They have a good roster. Rudy Gobert is going to defend the rim. I've seen some people kind of saying his defense isn't as good as they thought it was. I don't know what the heck you're talking about because Rudy Gobert is a pretty darn good defender. He makes it very tough to score at the rim. The Jazz are a good team, and I've said that since day one. We have to accept that the Jazz actually are a good team, but without their best player in Donovan Mitchell, that significantly bumps them down. And while Memphis is not the more talented team in any respect, they have been winning. They've got guts. They got young guys who are hungry in these playoffs, who have played hard. John Morant is a guy who, while he can't really shoot the three that well, Dylan Brooks can shoot the three well next to him. And John Morant showed that even down the stretches of games, he can get into the lane. He had that floater against the Warriors. So his game does translate when you need him to get a bucket. He can most of the time go down there and get it. I'm not ready to give up on the Jazz yet. But I am willing to say that at first I thought this was going to kind of be a clean sweep just because the Jazz had been rolling. I assumed Donovan Mitchell would be healthy enough to roll. But I think we might be in for a six, six, maybe, maybe seven game series here because Memphis won game one last night. Even if they drop game two, they go back to Memphis where the fans are pretty darn good down there. I mean, we saw them in the play in game. It was rocking in there, and it's only going to get better. And I think Memphis now can take one in Memphis. That brings you to a six-game series. And who's to say they don't win game five or game six and make this a seven-game series? The one thing that's tough about that is Donovan Mitchell. When does Donovan Mitchell come back? What does he look like? Is he healthy enough to play? Is he healthy enough to drop the 50 points we were seeing him drop last year? Is he healthy enough to even drop 30-plus points as the franchise main option? That is still yet to be seen. It is. There's no way around it. So the Jazz have some figuring out to do with their roster. They need to see if Donovan Mitchell is going to be healthy because if not, the Grizzlies have a chance in this series. I mean, yes, the Jazz are a good team, but you're taking out their best player, their franchise player, the guy they rely on. Memphis has everybody. They have their two-star players. And last night wasn't even a product of John Morant taking over the game and having his big game of the series. It was Dylan Brooks. So John Morant's game is coming as well. And as much as the Jazz are a good team and they have, they can hit you in a lot of different ways, they can beat you in a lot of different ways, this is weird to say, but outside of the three, Memphis doesn't match up that terribly with them. And, and I know that sounds crazy, but they don't because the Jazz do kind of play with an old-style center, and so do the Grizzlies. Valanjunas, Gobert. And then you look at their rosters, yeah, they're not comparable, but I don't know, man. Grizzlies play hard basketball. They, last night, were able to lock up defensively when they needed to lock up. And like I said, the John Morant game is coming. We don't know about Donovan Mitchell's health. And we could see a situation where Memphis takes these guys seven. Maybe the eight seed is going to beat the one. Nah, that's too much. That's too much. I think the Jazz win this series regardless, but I do think it's going deeper than I ever would have expected. And I'm curious to see where Donovan Mitchell's at with his health and what he looks like when he's back out there. To two and seven. The second seed Suns beat the seven seed Los Angeles Lakers last night as LeBron James finished with 18 points and 10 assists. Anthony Davis finished with six points and had one of his worst games as a Los Angeles Lakers. But there's a lot to unpack here. I'm going to talk for a lot because I'm a LeBron fan. I'm a Lakers fan. I am going to talk a lot about this. So buckle up. The Lakers did not look good, but I am not worried. 
Game ones with LeBron-led teams have always been this way. They have always been this way. It's a feel-out game. I know that sounds corny. I know it sounds crazy, but it has always been this way. Last year against Portland, LeBron had 23 points in game one, and he had 10 points in game two. This is not new. They lost game number one to the Rockets, I think. I think they lost game number one to the Rockets as well in game two last year. In the second round last year, I meant to say, in game one. So that this whole looking rough in game ones in the first game of the playoffs is not new. But one thing that does worry me is Anthony Davis. Because as much as the feel-out game thing, and I, I can say that to make myself more comfortable, Anthony Davis did not look good. There is no way around it. I don't know if he's not healthy. I don't know what's going on there. But Jamal Harris said it best. I mean, he looked hesitant to cut. He looked hesitant to plant. He's a guy right now that doesn't look like he wants any parts of the post and getting easy baskets around the rim, which tells me maybe he's nursing an injury and he's just trying to kind of get his game going with jumpers, which I got to say is the last thing I want from Anthony Davis. Anthony Davis can shoot the three and he can shoot mid-range jumpers and they're pretty when they go in. But that's not what I want Anthony Davis doing. And if the adjustment that it takes is putting him at the five, giving Drummond a little less minutes, maybe having Drummond come more off the bench type role, and Anthony Davis starting at the five to force him to play big, if that's where it's going to have to come to, that's what it's going to have to come to. And I don't think that that is a bad decision at all. Personally, I want Anthony Davis playing the five. I think it makes the Lakers a better team offensively, and I think it makes them a better team defensively. It gives you more flexibility on the offensive end, and defensively, let's be honest, I don't think there's anybody in this series that you need Andre Drummond out there to guard right now. DeAndre Ayton had a big day, but Anthony Davis can take care of DeAndre Ayton. Put Alex Caruso in the starting lineup. because, And I say that because I don't expect crazy... Uh, production necessarily from Caruso, but I do expect a guy that plays his role, doesn't try to do too much, and can execute when needed. I don't hate Andre Drummond. I knew what to expect. I wasn't expecting a superstar take-over-the-league type big. I just expected a guy who can finish around the rim, rebound well, and frankly defend the rim. And while Drummond can do those things, right now the Lakers are in a spot where it's been clear as can be that Anthony Davis and this team are better when they are at the five. I understand Anthony Davis doesn't want to play the five, that he's more comfortable at the four, but low key, I think the four is enabling Anthony Davis. I think it's enabling him to play smaller than he is and kind of hang out uh, outside the three-point line, take those mid-range jumpers. That is not what I want Anthony Davis doing. When he is backing down, old-fashioned big, getting to the rim, he's drawing fouls, he's drawing and ones, and he's getting his game rolling so that he sees the ball go through, he's feeling the flow, and then those mid-range and those threes, they come easier. His offensive game's in a rhythm. So I don't know what the Lakers are thinking right now, but Anthony Davis at the four is not working. It's been clear. I don't know if they're going to make an adjustment already for game two, but if they do this again, if they run this back again in game two and they lose, you got to look at Frank Vogel and say, dude, what are you doing? Because now they're in a hole, down 0-2, and Anthony Davis has, still hasn't played well. But that's that's what ifs. I don't want to get to that right now. But that is one take I have 
Anthony Davis needs to go back to the five. He needs to play that position. The Lakers are a better team when he's there. Now, for LeBron James, I don't think LeBron's looked great. I don't even think he's looked very good. I think he's looked good to decent, to average. He's looked he's looked okay. 18 and 10 and 7, I believe, he finished with last night. That's not going to be enough. I'm not freaking out about it because, like I said, this has been consistent with LeBron James-led teams. Game ones are a thing. They don't win them. I don't know why. I don't. I can't explain it. It's it's never been a worry of LeBron's. But listen, the method works. I'm not going to question the method of LeBron James because time and time again it works. I've seen this movie over and over again, and it has the same ending nearly every single time. LeBron leads the team to the finals. So I'm going to sit back. I'm not going to freak out after a game one, but there are adjustments that need to be made. The Lakers struggled to defend in all aspects. They are not getting production from their role players. Contavious Caldwell-Pope, even Alex Caruso, who I just named back in the starting lineup. Yes, he is able to execute in his role, but I'm going to need a few more points. And Kyle Kuzma, listen, no points in 18 minutes in game one. Zero points. Kyle Kuzma, the team needs you, buddy. I don't know if it's 10 points. I don't care if it's 15 points. Man, I don't care if it's eight points. You got to give something. Because at the end of the day, this team needs you. You are crucial off the bench in a way that I don't even know if you understand. Because 18 minutes, zero points in game one is inexcusable. You really didn't affect the game out there. I mean, I'm sure you played good defense. And I'm sure that the basketball IQ guys would be like, how can you say he didn't affect the game? Offensively, putting the ball through the hoop, Kyle Kuzma did not affect the game. So right there, I mean, the Lakers' role players aren't playing well. Their star players aren't playing well. They weren't great defensively the way they were able to execute defensively down the stretch against the Warriors. I'm not going to lie to you. I'm worried. I'm not. Sky is falling. I'm not. Oh, they're in danger of losing this series. Not yet. If they lose game two, then you're going to see me in a whole different tune. We're going to have a real issue in LA. But right now, the sky is not falling. Like I said, I've seen this movie before. I'm going to trust in LeBron's method that game one's just chalk them up, feel out game. He's reading the other team, reading what they're doing defensively, reading what they're doing offensively, and we'll see how the Lakers look in game two because historically, LeBron's been great in game twos, and Anthony Davis was great in game two against the Blazers last year. So if history is telling us anything, the Lakers should be much better in game two. LeBron and Anthony Davis should be much better in game two, and they have to get back to their identity. Defense, lock up, force turnovers, get the other team off their game. And one last thing I want to touch on, one thing that makes me a little concerned, I'll be honest, that raises my level of concern for the Lakers, Chris Paul is on the Phoenix Suns. And there's only two guys in the NBA, basketball IQ-wise, that I would say are on the same level as LeBron James. Basketball IQ-wise, Rajon Rondo, Chris Paul. Those are the two guys I would put in the same realm as LeBron James. Chris Paul, I would even be willing to say, is the same as LeBron. He has the same basketball IQ. Now, that scares me because who's to say the Suns don't come out and they also adjust their game for game two? They don't really play the same thing. They don't run it back like that. That's another what if, so I won't go down that rabbit hole. But I am saying Chris Paul is just as smart as LeBron. I don't think the Suns are just going to curl up and fall apart. This series has now become 
a threat to go six or seven. I said Lakers in six from the beginning just because of the threat of Chris Paul and the elevation that he brings to a squad, especially in the playoffs. I mean, we saw him last year with OKC. He carried them to two uh, wins. That series, I don't know if it went six or seven, but I do remember that Chris Paul was great in two wins for the Oklahoma City Thunder. So the Lakers are in trouble. I'm not going to lie to you. They are in some deep stuff right now. They have to get a win in game two. They have to get back on track. And they have to accept the fact that it's go time, man. It's time to vroom. It's time to go. All right. That's it for the Lakers. I'm sure I'll have more to say tonight on the radio. I'm sure I'll think of some other stuff. But that's really where my mind was going right there. Moving on to the other series in the West. Let's see, what is that? The Clippers and the Dallas Mavericks. Now, I'm not, not, not a big, I'm not a big hunch guy. Not a big hunch guy. I'm not a big, uh, oh, well, I just have a hunch they're going to lose. But something in me, when I saw this series, Dallas versus LA, I think the Mavericks are going to win this series in seven. I really do believe that. And I'm going against all the numbers. I'm going against all the evidence because the Clippers have the better numbers. They have the better roster. And frankly, they have the better defense. They have the better everything. Everything. Everything suggests that the Clippers should win this series. But last year against the Nuggets, everything suggested the Clippers should win that series as well. And what it came down to was the star players down the stretches of games getting outplayed by the star players of the other team. Luka Doncic in game one outplayed the stars of the Clippers. That's, that's just how it is. Now, Porzingis, he was pretty good as well. He wasn't great, but he was pretty good. And Dallas right now is in a position where they, I mean, they're in the driver's seat. If they can grab a game two or even game three, keep this so that they're leading going into game four, I think they're in a really good spot with this series. The Clippers made a push almost every single time that the Mavericks took a big lead or, or took a substantial lead in a way. But the Mavericks had an answer every single time. Luka Doncic looks way more composed in these playoffs. Now, last year, he did look like a vet. I'm not going to lie. I was very surprised at how good he looked last year. But even this year, he looks even better. He looks more polished. He looks more ready. I mean, timely baskets. And Luka Doncic is the only guy outside of Chris Paul in the NBA that I watch. And he makes the passes that LeBron James can make. And, and that's just the truth. I mean, Luka is a special playmaker. And now he's hitting step back threes and, and he's getting to the rim and he's telling guys they're too small. I'm going to say it. I'm going to say it. I think Luka Doncic is the best player in the series. Oh my gosh. I said it. I said it. At this point in time, I think Luka Doncic is the best player in this playoff series. I don't know how people are going to feel about that. Because Paul George and Kawhi Leonard are special players. I think that... Overall, if we were to make a list of where people lie in the NBA, I'd probably put Kawhi over Luka. But right now, at this very moment, I think I'd take Luka. I think he's playing his best basketball of the year. I think he was great in game one, like I said. And while he does not necessarily possess the defense that Kawhi does, let's be honest with ourselves. That rumor needs to go. Kawhi Leonard is not the same defender he used to be. I mean, on the Spurs, he was able to be such a great defender due to the fact that 
other guys took on such an offensive responsibility, and that was not Kawhi's role. And while he still can play good defense, we have to stop acting like he's locking down every star player on the other team because that's just not the truth. And the reason I'm saying right now I would take Luka Doncic is because the Clippers are equipped to guard Luka Doncic. They have the wing defenders that should be able to lock up and shut Luka down, and they were not able to do it in game one. The Clippers brought energy. They did. Like I said, they punched back every time the Mavs took a lead, but the Mavericks had an answer, and they were able to pull it out every time that the Clippers punched back, and that is telling. That's telling because it's not like the Clippers just kind of folded it up, said, oh, we didn't have it today, and game one was the Mavs. No, they kept fighting, and they were not able to pull it out. The Clippers have better basketball in them, and they will play better basketball in this series, but Luka Doncic right now it has the ability to lead a team to a playoff upset like this. Porzingis is healthy. You have Tim Hardaway Jr. playing better basketball now. I never liked the Josh Richardson trade for Seth Curry, but at least Josh Richardson can be a quality defender. This one's going to be interesting. It's tough to make such a good case for Dallas because their numbers aren't there. They weren't a good team in the regular season. They kind of underwhelmed, but they've played their best basketball of the season over the last month or so, and this is the time when you want your team rolling. So maybe, just maybe, Luka was listening. He has these guys playing their best basketball, and he watched all the stars in the NBA. That's how they structure their team. That's the most successful way of going about it. I'm taking the Mavericks in seven in this series. And I mean, I don't know. I just sad to say, but I'm going off a hunch here because it's tough to make a case. Like I said, I can't throw numbers at you. And as much as I say, I'll take Luca as the best player in this series. The Clippers probably have three, four, five. I mean, two, three, four, I meant to say best players in this series after that. And you could make a great argument that Kawhi is better than Luka, and I'm not going to argue with you because you're probably right. Maybe I'm bugging here. But at this very moment, I would want Luka on my team in the playoffs over Kawhi and Paul George. Maybe that's a hot take. I don't know. Mavs in seven. Mavs in seven. All right. To finish this off, probably the most intriguing series I don't want to say intriguing because I don't think a lot of people are intrigued by this series, but probably a series that is going to be more similar in the West to a Knicks-Hawks type feel. Close games every time, even though game one really wasn't that close, but close games and a deep series. Nuggets and Blazers. Nikola Jokic is coming into this one, probably going to win the MVP. He's had an incredible year. Kept this team afloat without Jamal Murray who is out for the year due to a torn ACL. But the Nuggets have always been a team with a deep roster. If you look at their roster, man, they can go 10, 11 deep if they wanted and have quality role players out there on the floor around Jokic. One thing that I was surprised was the level of defense from Portland because I must say they were a bottom three team in the NBA in defensive rating. I mean, they were abysmal on that side of the ball. Special offensive team, special, special, special offensive team, but an abysmal defensive team. Maybe they're going to pick up the intensity in this series. Maybe it's more just something with the veteran type 
view of it is, oh, well, we're not going to really worry about defense here in the regular season. We'll, we'll pick that effort up on the playoffs. Now, that's more of a LeBron James-led team thing. I'm not really sure if the Blazers have that type of uh, switch to flip, but the Blazers do have the better clutch player. There's no denying that. I think Damian Lillard is a guy you can count on down the stretches of games. I don't know if Jamal is going to come on here and or come on the radio tonight and tell me that Damian Lillard has missed this, this, and this. I know he's not a big Dame guy, but here's the thing. At the end of the day, I trust Damian Lillard down the stretch of games. I, I trust him to make a big shot. I trust him to make the right play. I don't try, I, I trust him not to fold. Let's put it that way. And it's not like the Blazers are just a one-headed monster in that respect because there are times, man, CJ McCollum can take over the game and he can be clutch down the stretch. And then... You have Carmelo Anthony, who can also be clutched down the stretches of games. Now, he's not old mellow. He's not he's not prime mellow, but we saw it in game one. The man can still hoop, and I can tell you right now, in the clutch of a game, I don't mind Carmelo Anthony taking a shot at all. So right there, the Blazers have are they're equipped to execute down the stretches of games with the guys they will have on the floor. Now, defensively they aren't, but offensively they are. And I think that as a team, they're willing to take that chance. Now, as for Denver, like I said, they're versatile, they're deep. The problem is, is that after Jokic, their talent level, it, it does fall off without Jamal Murray. And that is something I didn't take into account here. I still believed in the Nuggets because of their deep roster, because of their versatility. Now, I have the stats that I'll bring to the show tonight. I'm not positive what their defensive, offensive rating and such is of that. But I don't know if it's realistic to expect Nikola Jokic to score 40-plus, get you 10 rebounds, 10 assists in more than one game in this series. I mean, I'm sure he'll have one of his monster games, but the more I think about it, the more I think I was bugging. I was bugging picking the Nuggets in my video, and the reason I, the sole reason I picked the Nuggets was just purely based on the fact that Portland, they don't defend well as a team at all. I mean, the numbers are borderline gross for this team defensively, but I failed. I think I just had an epiphany right here in front of this microphone. I think I just had an epiphany because if you think about it, the Blazers have the three options down the stretches of games that they can rely on and trust to make a shot. And you can't say that for Denver. So even if these games are close, I trust the Blazers down the stretches of games way more than I trust the Nuggets. Nikola Jokic has shown that he's got a clutch bone on his body, but I need you to name me somebody else on the floor for the Denver Nuggets that you would trust just as much as you would even trust the third most trustworthy guy on the Blazers and Carmelo Anthony right now down the stretches of games. I don't think there's anybody outside of Jokic down the stretches of games I would trust more than Carmelo Anthony, and that's only the third threat on Portland's roster. So there it is. I, I trust Portland down the stretches of games. I trust them in big games more. I trust them to score more. And as much as Denver can D up and try and make it a defensive battle because they know for a fact Portland isn't good at that, I just don't know how realistic that is. I think the Blazers win this thing in seven, and I think they win it because they are equipped to execute down the stretch much better than the Denver Nuggets are. All right. Well, hey, man, I don't think that was too bad. I don't think that was too bad at all. I'm going to take the 
approach tonight to the radio show. If I crash and burn, I crash and burn. I'm 23 years old. This is the time to take chances. I want to see how it's going to go. I'm a little tired of reading off notes. Uh, and it's just, if I'm being realistic with myself down the, down the line, and if I want to be on WEI, if I want to be on ESPN or whatever step I want to take next, I'm not going to be able to read off notes the way I've been reading off of them. And I've got to get out of that habit. I think it was something that I was just, I was nervous about the live aspect of it right now. What I'm doing here, if I make a mistake, say I fall apart in the middle of a, of a segment, I can delete it and just do another one. Now I didn't do that in this episode. That's why you're going to see a few uh, hiccups or such, but I'm not a perfect human being. And I think that was pretty good. I, I, I'm going to roll with that tonight. I'm going to get some calls. So I do definitely think I'll be able to fill the allotted time. I think that was something I was so worried about at the beginning of my tenure on the radio was just if it's live, oh, what if I run out of stuff to talk about? And that's happened and I've made it happen. And I'm just going to try and continue to take the steps to be better at this and be a guy that is reliable. But to finish off today's episode, just want to touch on the Red Sox real quick. They won four out of their last five these guys fight, man. It's fun to watch. It is fun to watch. Nate Evaldi came out. He had a pretty good start. Uh, so that was good to see. You want to see him get rolling. I'm very, very worried about Eduardo Rodriguez. This is the third start in a row where he really has not looked good. Uh, he's struggling. It's, it's really unexplainable because he's a guy that was nearly, I mean, you could chalk up a Sox win whenever he pitched. For some reason, he had this weird thing where the Red Sox would win even if he didn't pitch that well. I mean, they'd score enough runs. I believe that two or three starts ago, it was the first time the Red Sox lost a game in which he pitched in since 2019 or the beginning of 2019. So that's a, that's a long time. That's a lot of starts. I'm sure that's a lot of starts. But I mean, outside of him, the only guys I can think of really struggling, Franchi Cordero, I don't think Franchi's going to be in the MLB much longer. I think he's going to have to get bumped down to Worcester, work on his swing, work on contact. I mean, yeah, we saw a huge bomb from him yesterday. I don't want to take away from that. It was a great swing. He he absolutely leveled that ball. But the problem with Franchi Cordero right now is he's struggling to make contact, and that is just something that I – it's got to be fixed. I, I don't care if you ground out. I don't care if you fly out. I'd much rather have that than watch you come up and strike out on three pitches. And half the time, it's three pitches where he wasn't even close with the bat. It's It's been rough for Franchi. I don't want to pile it on too much. I think he's a better fielder than a lot of people give him credit for. I don't know why people bang on him so much. We saw him make that catch against the wall one day. Uh, he made another catch also against the wall, but in foul territory. I don't think Franchi's that bad of a, of a fielder. I th- think his arm could use some, some uh, improvement. But besides that, I don't think Franchi's going to be in the MLB much longer. But I will want to touch on a new guy, Danny Santana, who came up. There was a lot of talk about Danny Santana, and I can't lie. I didn't know much about this guy. He was kind of an anomaly. Uh, Red Sox Twitter knew about him, and, and you know some diehard Red Sox reporters were, were privy to this guy. But I, I really didn't know. I looked up his numbers, and they pop off the page, man. He didn't play much in 2020, but in 2019, in 130 games, he had nearly 30 homers. I believe he hit over... 280, I think it is, that he hit over. Uh, 20 stolen bases, 88 RBIs. I mean, the guy can really play. And already in his first two games with the Boston Red Sox, two home runs, 
and I love his versatility as a player. He can play first base. He can play second base. He can play shortstop. He can play third base, and he can play the outfield, which is perfect for this team. They're versatile. They have a lot of moving pieces, and I love the fact that Danny Santana is not one-dimensional. They can play him at third when they want to give Rafi a night off. They can play him at second when they want to give Arroyo or Hernandez or somebody a night off over there. They can even play him at first when they want to give Bobby D a night off. I love it. I love it. I like Danny Santana. I'm in on Danny Santana. I like his swing, very compact to the ball, and it's worked. In Philly, we'll see if it works at other ballparks, but Danny Santana has looked good. He's been a bright spot for this team, and I'm happy to have him aboard. Pitching, 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 pitching. I already talked about Rodriguez, talked about Ivaldi. Nick Pavetta continues to be able to pitch with runners on base. I've never seen anything like it. He continues to get himself into trouble and work his way out of it. Now, there have been a few starts here and there where that's not the case, and it's just a really quality start. He goes out there, he throws a lot of strikes, gets a lot of outs. But for the most part, he's a guy you know is going to walk somebody, but I don't know, man. He, he's able to battle his way out of it. I mean, it's, it's really a consistent thing with him. Martin Perez is more of the same. He's a guy you know he's going to walk three, four batters in his start. He's going to let up a... A good amount of hits, but most of the time he's able to battle his way out of it. And Garrett Richards, Garrett Richards, man, respect, man, respect. I've completely turned on you. I've done a 180. At first, I wanted you off the MLB roster, and now I look forward to seeing you pitch. You are dominant. You have great stuff. And when you can locate it and not walk batters, you are a problem, sir. You are a problem. And I was dead wrong. My friends will not stop giving me crap for it. I was dead wrong. What are you going to do? I, I'm not going to be right every time. It's sports. I'm not going to be right. So I was wrong. Garrett Richards, unbelievable. Excited to see you pitch. Good man. Besides that, I mean, if you look at it, Red Sox have been hitting a lot of home runs. That's good. Uh, something because they're a team that does make a lot of contact. But uh, overall, I think the home runs were something a lot of people may have worried about coming into this year. Even though last year they hit the ball, they I mean, they hit the ball well home run wise. But it was just something I was concerned about, and that's something that has not been a problem at all. They've been hitting home runs left and right. They've been getting runners on base. The Sox are good. They're for real. I mean, they still have one of the best records in baseball. I believe it might be the best record in baseball. We're over 40 games in. These guys can play. They're a real team. The bullpen worries me. Matt Andres worries the crap out of me. Darwinson Hernandez worries the crap out of me. And it's a shame because Darwinson Hernandez, when he's good, is great. And when he's bad, he's awful. He's one of those. One of those players. There's no in-between. So, I mean, you get him one night where he comes in and he strikes out the side and you're like, that was unbelievable. And then the next night he comes out and he walks two or three batters, lets up a three-run homer, and you're like, oh, gosh. So... That's where Darwin's and Hernandez is at. But I think the bullpen's gotten better. Josh Taylor right now has 10 straight scoreless appearances in the game. And Josh Taylor, every time he trots into the game, scares the living crap out of me because he left up a lot of home runs. He's a guy that will walk a few batters here and there, but he has been good. His stuff is getting better. So maybe I'll pull a 180 on him too. Maybe. Matt Barnes is still extremely reliable. Yeah, he had that hiccup against Shohei Otani, but besides that, Matt Barnes is the best he has ever looked in his career. They have a closer. Their relievers are getting better. I still believe in Phillips Valdez. A lot of guys are out on him. I like the fact that he doesn't throw crazy stuff, but locates it well and is able to get out. Now, I'm sure in Carabas's uh, relievers he trusts, he probably mid-tier. But right now, there's a lot of guys in the bullpen you can trust. Right now, I'm going to preface that with right now, the starters continue to pitch well. This lineup continues to produce, and that is why they are 
one of the best teams in baseball right now. Power rankings has them at number two. I would have them at number one. Red Sox are good. Keep saying it out loud. I will see you guys tonight. You'll hear pretty much the exact same thing you heard on this. Have a good day. Or that LeBron James <laughs> is the greatest basketball player. That's tough. Lakeisha retires jersey just because he put it on. Hey guys, thanks for tuning in and spending some time with us. Make sure to stay posted for new episodes and content. This show was recorded at Rhythm Room Studios in North Smithfield, Rhode Island by Nick Cloutier. Cloutier Productions, LLC.